استاد پاشت شما تبشینایین زاین ماو مشکن the name of the sheikh oh this is sponsored by friends of David Wicks all in his memory Lilui Nishmat David Ben Mordechai Shmuel Zichronole Bracha The first thing that happened after Moshe Rabbeinu came back to Bnei Yisrael, the first thing that happened was that he commanded the building of the Mishkan. The English word usually used for Mishkan is tabernacle. So I might use one word, I might use another word. Uh, my interest is trying to find out something about the Mishkan that was built and why it was so important. Well, uh, what was it that Bnei Yisrael needed the Mishkan for? And in order to get a handle on this, I'd like to learn a few halachot for the Rambam uh, about the Beit HaMikdash. Right, a few halachot about the Beit HaMikdash. Um, for example, Rambam Milchot Beit HaBechira. The Rambam calls the Beit HaMikdash Beit HaBechira, the chosen house, right? But he always calls it a bayit. He always calls it a bayit. Mitzvah say, <coughs> the Rambam relates, that there is a mitzvah asay lasot bayit lashem to build a bayit. Right, that the the essential aspect of the Beit Hamikdash. Remember, Beit Hamikdash was built by Shlomo Hamelech. The Mishkan was built by Moshe Rabbeinu. Right. So the Rambam here is talking about the Beit Hamikdash that was built by Shlomo Hamelech. Mitzvata Sela Sod Bayit Lashem Muchan it is ready for. It is being prepared as liyot b'kivim bo hakorbanot. It's the place in which the sacrifices were sacrificed. That's what. That's what the date by it lashem. What say makes it lashem? What gives it that kind of connection to God? The fact that sacrifices <coughs> are given there. And the sacrifices, of course, go to God. Furthermore, v'chogegim elav shalosh pa'amim b'shana. V'chogegim. Chogeg is to dance around in a circle. So there's a special mitzvah of simcha, which is connected to the Beit HaMikdash, which we keep three times every, every year. Shinemar. Vasuli Mikdash, right? Vasuli Mikdash. That's in our in our parasha. If you look at the at the psukim, the third source on the sheet, pasuk chet. You see the last pasuk, Vasuli Mikdash, v'shachanti betocha. Vasuli Mikdash, and you will make for me a sanctuary. Chogigim elav shalosh v'amim b'shana shedemar vasuli Mikdash. And the Torah has already explained Mishkan Sha'asa Moshe Rabbeinu. The Torah explained at great length, at great length, four parshiot, five, four and a half parshiot, right? Truma Tetzaveh, part of Kitisa, Vayakel Pekude, is all about the Mishkan. 
all those parashiyot are about the Mishkan. Mishkan Moshe Rabbeinu And that Mishkan that Moshe Rabbeinu told Bnei Yisrael to build and he built with them was Lefisha'ah which means it was temporary. It was a temporary, it was for, it was for a time, literally, for a time, as it says in the Pasuk, you've not yet come to the place. <coughs> the place meaning Yerushalayim, where eventually the Beit HaMikdash would be built. And the Beit HaMikdash was not bound by time. Eventually it was destroyed, but it was not intended to be destroyed. That was not the way it was. It was built in order to be. And the destruction was, uh, was uh, something we hadn't thought about. Okay, this is, uh, this is the, ra the, uh, the Rambam about the Beit HaMikdash. Right, so if I had to think to myself, like, what is it? It's a Bayit Lashem, with the emphasis on the word Bayit. What makes it a Bayit? What makes a Bayit into a Bayit? I would say, and as I think the Rambam would agree, walls. Walls, you don't have a Bayit unless you have walls. And so in the second temple period, this is the same Rambam, Hilchot Beit HaBechira, Perik Beit HaLoch Adalet. It says, Shlosha Nevi'im Alu Imahem Min HaGola. When Bnei Yisrael came back to Eretz Yisrael in 535, 535 BCE was uh, the declaration of Cyrus, Koresh, allowed the Jews to come back to Eretz Yisrael and to rebuild the temple. Unfortunately, he didn't also agree to build it for them, but he agreed to let them build it. So there was a lag. If you look at the book of Haggai, if I look at the book of Haggai, you'll see that Haggai reports that the people were a destitute. The people who came back to Eretz Yisrael, they had no one to turn to. They couldn't do reasonable fundraising with the people left in, uh, in uh, Persia. So they were in trouble. They just weren't able to build the Beit HaMikdash, even though that was the permission that they had received. But they were able to build the Mizbeach. Mizbeach is an altar. They were able to build an altar. So if you look back at the first halacha in the Rambam, Mitzvah Tasei Lashot Bayit Lashem Muchan Liyot Makrivim Korbanot. So the question is, you have to lakrivam korbanot, you have to sacrifice sacrifices. But it's called Beit Hashem. He says, Mitzvata said, Lasot Bayit Hashem. When can you sacrifice the sacrifices? Do you need a Bayit? And that in the Bayit will be a Mizbech, the way it was in the Mishkan. Now you remember the Mishkan, there was this kind of a rectangle. And inside the rectangle there was a Mizbech. And then there was a house, an enclosed uh, uh, tent. It was the two things in this courtyard, in the Mishkan, were the Mizbeach and the Oel Moed. Right? Those are the two things that were there. 
And here the Rambam says that in order to build a a, a, a mizbeach, in order to build a mizbeach, you also need to buy it. You need to buy it, you need a building. You can't put a mizbeach in the middle of no place, even though before this time, before the time of Bayad Rishon, many people built mizbechot and gave korbanot, right? According to Chazalu, Adam Rishon, according to the Chumash, Cain and Hevel, Noah, they all gave korbanot, but they didn't have a bayit. But according to the Rambam, <coughs> according to the Rambam, there was a need for a bayit. Now, Perik Bet Halachadalit, the Rambam says, When they came back to Eretz Yisrael from the Gola, we know that there were three Nevi'im that came back. Well, they didn't come back all at the same time, but the Nevi'im of Shivat Zion are Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Right? Chagai and Zechariah lived very close to the return when Ezra returned to Eretz Yisrael. And Malachi was a little bit later, maybe a couple of hundred years later. But they are called the prophets of the, <coughs> of the return. Shloshan Nevi'im alu imahem min one of the three prophets showed the, where the place of the Mizbeach was in the first temple. A second pro- prophet explained to them the measurements of this Mizbeach. <coughs> Are you ready? That's the second. The third. That on the Mizbech that they built when they came back to Eretz Yisrael to Yerushalayim, they can sacrifice all of the sacrifices. What do you mean, ain't sham bayit? That they didn't have walls. They, they, they couldn't build it. As the, the, the Navi himself says, Chagai himself says, the people were poor. And they just could not spare the time or the effort, but, but to build a Mizbech, that's easy. You just take the rocks and you throw them one on top of another until you have a little platform. And then you have a Mizbech. So you see from this second halacha in the Rambam, you see from the second halacha in the Rambam, that for the Rambam, the bayit was of great significance. And only the bayit enabled <coughs> the sacrificing of sacrifices. You needed a bayit, not a sac- Of course, here he says that the third prophet came along, and the third prophet taught that <coughs> even though you haven't, <coughs> you haven't finished the bayit, but okay, you can, you can sacrifice anyway. But that means that lechatchila a priori, it means that a priori, could you do it without a bayit? No. Everybody thought that. Everybody thought you need a bayit to have a, to have a, a korban. It's only the third prophet that said that you don't need a bayit. That you don't need a bayit. Okay? The third halacha. Perik vav, halacha ted vav. Lefikach makrivim korbanot kulan. Afal pi she ain't sham bayit banui. 
the Rabbam says, ergo, or therefore, you can sacrifice all of the korbanot, even though there's no, there's no bayit. The bayit has not yet been built. V'ochlim kodshei kodashim b'chol azara avopei shecharivah. He says that you can eat the kodesh kodashim, the special sacrifices that are eaten by the kohanim, in the place where you would ordinarily eat them if there was a bayit. Well, you could do that even though there is no bayit, even though there's no bayit. Right? Even though it's destroyed. And is not surrounded by a wall. And during that very same time, is there a Beit HaMikdash? If Beit HaMikdash means by it, means walls, there's no Beit HaMikdash. But you can eat the what are called Kodshim Kalim, Umaser Sheini, Bekol Yerushalayim. Avot Pisha Ein Sham Chomot, even though there are no walls, Shakadusha Rishona, Kichadah Sha'ata, Vikichadah Latid Lavok. Because we have this principle that the Kedusha of Yerushalayim and the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael remains <coughs> even though the Temple was destroyed. So you can see according to the Rambam, I think, you see according to the Rambam, that if I had to say, like, what is the Beit HaMikdash, I would say to buy it. And what is that buy it? How do you make that buy it? Well, you build walls. And the walls are the thing that said, here is the Beit HaMikdash. Within these walls is the Beit HaMikdash. Beyond that, I would say that we also learned that you could only give sacrifices in the Beit HaMikdash. Even though before the first bayit was built, they gave sacrifices every place. Yes? It was before the time of Yoshua and the Shoftim and Shmuel, they would sacrifices were given every place in Eretz Yisrael. Everybody could have an altar in his backyard. And they gave sacrifice. But after the Beit HaMikdash was built, this was no longer allowed. So after the first Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, there was no place to give sacrifices. They couldn't give sacrifices every place because that ended with the Beit HaMikdash. <coughs> and they couldn't give sacrifices in the Beit HaMikdash because there was no bayit. So they needed a Navi to come and tell them that even though you haven't built the Beit HaMikdash yet, build the altar and sacrifice, give sacrifices. But intrinsically, or in terms of halacha, uh, I would say that you do need a bayit. You need a Beit HaMikdash to give sacrifices. At least that's what everybody thought. That's what everything. The other thing I would like to point out, I would like to point out is that <coughs> the thing I would like to point out is that uh, in the second temple, in the second temple there was an altar, but there was no bayit, because the Oel Moed, what we call the Oel Moed, or the Kodesh Kodeshim, was empty. There was no Aron in the second temple, and all the things that went along with the Aron were missing. 
All right, we'll just remember that for a minute and then we'll come back to it. The beginning of the parasha, the beginning of the parasha of Truma, by the Ba'a Shem al Moshe Mo, you see the third source on the page. Dabel B'nei Yisrael Bikhuli Truma. Bikhuli Truma, Rashi says, Li Lishmi. Li Lishmi, which, which means that Rashi doesn't want you to think that this was an actual monetary transaction. Bikhuli Truma, that somehow the Li refers to God. He doesn't like that. And then he goes on and he, the Torah goes on and lists all the different things that were brought, Pasuk Gimel, Zahav, Chesed, Nechoshet, Pasuk Dalet, Chelet, Ragaman, Betolat, Shani, and the Mephoshim talk about this. Then in Pasuk Chet it says, V'asuli Mikdash V'shachanti B'tocham. V'asuli Mikdash V'shachanti B'tocham is what you're going to do, the, you do with the Truma. You're going to collect all these different things as a Truma. And you make a mikdash. It doesn't say beta mikdash. It just says mikdash. It just says mikdash. If you look at Rashi, right, the last Rashi, Pasuk Chet, Vasuli mikdash, Vasuli shmi, beit kidusha. Now, you know, you start noticing, you start thinking about a word. So you notice it when it comes up. I mean, the question is, did Rashi mean something here? Or is he just used to saying Beit HaMikdash? So he said Beit Kedusha. Maybe he doesn't really mean anything. So you have an interesting comment by the Rashbam. <coughs> now you know that the Rashbam was Rashi's grandson. And you know also that the Rashbam had a lot of respect for Rashi. And he felt that his commentary was sort of a continuation of Rashi, you might say. Or leaving out some, or, or filling in some holes that Rashi left open. So the Rashbam says, the Rashbam says, Mikdash, you see the word Mikdash? Vasudi Mikdash Pasukhet? L'shom Mo'ed. Mo'ed is a meeting place, a place where, you, where people get together. Shet Kadesh Ezdamein Alehem Lidaber Bitocho. A place where I will be sanctified and I will be prepared to meet up with them and to speak from within it. So you know that during the 38 years in the desert, <coughs> after the Mishkan was built, HaKadosh Baruch Hu would meet with Moshe Rabbeinu outside of the Oel Moed and would teach Moshe Rabbeinu Torah and then Moshe Rabbeinu would take that Torah and teach B'nai Yisrael during those 38 during those 38 years so he says Et Kadesh She'et Kadesh which means it'll be a special place it'll be a place for me to be God says, and I will meet up with them and speak <coughs> from within it. So if this is true, Rashi, Rashi and the Rashbam 
emphasize the sanctity of the place and do not mention at all the idea of korbanot. I'm not saying that there were no korbanot in the, in the Mishka, of course they were. But when he comes to explain why it's called Mikdash, what about the place makes it a Mikdash? Rashi doesn't say it's because they give sacrifices there. That doesn't make it a Mikdash. Because after all, as we said before, the Jews gave sacrifices from the time of creation of the world until, until they came to Eretz Yisrael and built the Beit HaMikdash. They always gave sacrifices. So if HaKadosh Baruch says to Moshe Rabbeinu, go and build a Mikdash, meaning something new, something that's never been done before, something that is remarkable, right? So with the, both Rashi and the Rashbam do not mention Korbanot. Because that was not the new thing. That was not what was happening. That was not what was special. What was special, what the Rashbam says, et kadesh <coughs> Rashi and the Rashbam, in chronological order, if you look at the Ramban, if you look at the Ramban, the Ramban, interestingly enough, in this parasha, writes an introduction to this commentary on this parasha. Introduction to his commentary on the parasha of Truma. That's the Rashbam. Let's see what he says. Let us see the Rashbam. Ka'asher diber Hashem Yisrael panim bifanim aseret adibrot. God spoke to Bnei Yisrael, but panim bifanim, face to face. <coughs> I mean, we could think about it. Is is he right? Is he what is he referring to? But we understand that something special happened to Bnei Yisrael at Har Sinai when they all stood together and heard Aserita Debrot, or at least part of Aserita Debrot. That was an event. It was a prophetic event that never happened to anybody else, only to Am Yisrael. V'tziva otam al yedei Moshe k'tzat mitzvot. And they were commanded by Moshe Rabbeinu some mitzvot, like the parasha of Mishpatim. Right? The parasha Mishpatim contains mitzvot, not the whole Torah, but what he calls ktsat mitzvot. Shehem kamo avot le shel Torah. The word avot should be, could be translated as prototype. Or in set theory, you would say the set of it, right? All of the mitzvot could be divided into, I think I've mentioned it before, into small number of categories. Rav Gaon divided all the Taryag mitzvot into the ten mitzvot of Aserita Debrot in order to prove that the Aserita Debrot that people learned at Har Sinai really included all of the Taryag mitzvot. That's what he means when he says avot. Then he explains an interesting thing, that we know that giyur, conversion, 
the convert goes through a kind of similar process. He has to learn some of the mitzvot of the Torah, but not all of the mitzvot of the Torah. So where did this idea come from, that learning some of the mitzvot of the Torah is good enough? Well, it comes from B'nai Yisrael at Har Sinai, who also only learned some of the mitzvot of the, of the Torah. Ka'asher hinhigu rabotenu imagerim sheba'im lityahed. And they, that's what the Chachamim said, the potential converts who come to become Jewish, they have to learn some of the Torah, some of the mitzvot. Yisrael kibu alihem lasot kol mashi yitzavin al yado shel Moshe. And B'nai Yisrael agreed, accepted, undertook to keep all of the mitzvot that God, that they didn't know about, that God would instruct Moshe Rabbeinu. That was the deal. They would take all of these mitzvot. V'karati mahem brit al kol And there was a covenant established about all of this. All of this meaning the mitzvot that they had accepted and the mitzvot that they would accept in the, in the future. Me'ata. And there you have it. That's the agreement. And Hashem was their God and they were his nation. As was determined or conditioned, the condition was raised originally. Right? This is a Pesach in Perakyotet, the, the chapter right before Aseret Hadibrot, in which those words, you listen to my voice, you will watch over my covenant, and you will be a, a treasure to me. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says. And continues, you will be a uh, a nation of priests and a, a holy uh, nation. That's the, here's the important sentence from our point of view. In other words, all of this, all of this prelude to the Mishkan <coughs> is about the Yisrael achieving some superior level of sanctity some superior status. And what is that superior status and sanctity for? What is it that B'nai Yisrael is supposed to be able to do now that they are significantly higher? So he, the Pesach says, Hineim Kedoshim, they became sanctified. Re'uyim she'yehebahem mikdash la'shot shechina b'nehem. Re'uyim. They're worthy of having a mikdash. And what is a mikdash? Lashrot shechinato b'nehem. In order that the shechina should dwell within their midst. And that's how it was. There was the delineated mishkan. And all around B'nai Yisrael camped. And so the mikdash was within their midst. In order to be worthy of having such a setup, <coughs> B'nai Yisrael 
B'nai Yisrael had to be had to be Kedoshim they had to be significant and that's what happened besides Matan Torah that's what happened to B'nai Yisrael before the parasha of Truma and therefore the first thing that was commanded was the Mishkan Again, since we're sensitized by the Rambam, what is the what is the Ramban saying? That God would have a house within their midst, right? Sanctified to his name, right? Not like the Rashi said. Not like Rashi says, Rasuli Mikdash, Rasuli Shmi, by it, you know, Rashi. Anti anthropomorphic Rashi. But pro anthropomorphic Ramban. That'll be designated for God's name. Visham Yedaber Moshe. That's where God will talk to Moshe Rabbeinu and he will command the commands to B'nai Yisrael. The desire that there was that there should be a Mishkan and what makes this bayit into a makom kadosh? The Ramban says it's the Aaron Kodesh that's in the Oel Moed. It's not everything we've talked about now. You haven't seen the word Mizbeach, right? No Mizbeach. It's only this spiritual uh, 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 entity called bayit. Right, called by it. Kemosh Amar Lahalan Veno Adati Lechasham Vedibarti Itchami Al Hakaporet. That's what God said to Moshe Rabbeinu. <coughs> the Kaporet is the covering of the Aron, and that means that the voice, God's voice, will come to Moshe Rabbeinu from above the Aron, from the Kaporet. Me Al Hakaporet. Al Kain Hikdim Haaron Vakaporet. And that's why in the parasha of Truma, if you turn the pages, you'll see that the first kalim that are discussed in the parasha are the Aron, right, the Aron? Remember? A golden box inside, a, a wooden box inside of a golden box. A golden box inside of a wooden box inside of a golden box. That's the Aron. And then there's the Kaporet. The kaporet is the covering that you put on this aron. The aron didn't have doors. It wasn't that kind of aron, but you had to put things in it from the top. After you put the things in it from the top, you covered up the aron with a special kind of cover, a top, called a kaporet. Called a kaporet, that's what he says. He says the reason that the aron and the kaporet come first in the parasha of Truma. These are the most exalted things in the Mishkan. In the Mishkan. And later on, also in the Beit HaMikdash, I would dare say. 
ושמח לארון השולחן והמנורה שאין כלים כמוהו. And then following that, the parasha talks about the shulchan, the table, and the menorah, the uh, uh, whatever it's called. What's it called? Candelabrum. Candelabrum. Right? Vamenorah she'em kelim kamohu v'yoru al inyan ha-mishkan she'bavuram ya'nasu And somehow they also are a reflection of the shulchan and the menorah of the purpose for making the mishkan. It's the meeting place with God. Aval Moshe k'dim v'parashat v'yakel et ha-mishkan את אוהלו ואת מכסהו, וכן עשה בצלם. There's a different problem. מישהו ראוי לקדם במעשה. Well, actually, when Moshe Abedin retold the story of the Mishkan, he changed the order a little bit, but that's not our concern. So if I had to summarize, if I had to summarize the, the Ramban, this introduction of the Ramban to uh, the parish of Truma, I would say that the Ramban wants to know why B'nai Yisrael need a mishkan. I mean, what is the, uh, what are they missing? They should be happy, they're getting the Torah. Everything is, they're in the desert on their way to, uh, on the way to Eretz Yisrael as promised. What do they need? The, uh, so you know, there's also generally a question, <coughs> generally a question that we might ask around Shavuos time, which is, why wasn't there a holiday established to celebrate the giving of the Torah? It's true that we do that on Shavuot, but it's also true that there's no hint of that in the Torah. There's no, Shavuot is a different matter entirely. It has nothing to do with Matan Torah. Of course, we worked it out because we had, we had a very liberal hand with the calendar, with the Jewish calendar that the that the date of Shavuot always falls out on Vav Sivan. But that's a contrivance. Right? We made that happen. And it didn't have to happen that way. And for some reason, for some reason, the Torah doesn't tell us that there is a holiday called Shavuot, or a holiday that's, that does tell us that. <coughs> it doesn't tell us that there's a holiday called Sman Matan Torah which in time became identical with Shavuot, even though in the Torah itself there's no connection. So as if you'd ask yourself the question, how come? How come there's no holiday called Shavuot in the, in the Torah? So you read this Ramban, and you say, well, maybe there is a holiday called, sorry, Zman Matan Torah Tenu. Maybe there is a holiday called Zman Matan Torah Tenu. And that holiday takes place every single day of the year, as long as there's a Mishkan, as long as Moshe Rabbeinu is teaching the Torah. In, in, in other words, the, whereas all holidays that were celebrated in the desert were about things in the past, Zman Matan Torateinu was something that was happening in the present, the present and the future. So since it was happening in the present and the future, it couldn't very well become a holiday. Holidays were all about the past, about things that happened that we didn't want to forget. 
But I can't say about Matan Torah that I didn't want to forget it because after all, Matan Torah was happening all the time. So maybe that's what the Ramban is saying, is sort of leading us in that direction. Now there's one more thing that the Ramban says, and that's Soda Mishkan Hu. You know that the Ramban promised <coughs> that he would not involve us too much in Kabbalah. But that is a promise that he has difficulty in keeping. Because for some, sometimes, the Pshat and the Kabbalah for the Ramban are exactly the same. Or alternatively, I could say that the Pshat for the Ramban leads you to the Kabbalah, like sort of there's a, a pull that says, oh, you gotta, in order to really understand what's going on, you have to learn a little Kabbalah. So this is one of those places. This is in fact, in spite of the fact that the Ramban himself, in the end of his introduction to his commentary on the Torah, the Ramban himself says, look, I'm not going to bother you with Kabbalah, and people shouldn't learn Kabbalah unless they have teachers for Kabbalah, etc. But this is, a, this is the exception, <coughs> the Mishkan. Now, there are other exceptions as well, but this is one of the exceptions. So the Mishkan who? Sheyakavod. Kavod, remember, that's a word whose meaning is unclear. But it refers to God's presence. An aspect of God's presence is called kavod. What it is exactly, I don't know. Asher shachan al har sinai, shachain alav benistar. Shia kavod, asher shachan al har sinai kama, shachain alav. Alav meaning what? What's alav? Alav is the mishkan. The just like on har sinai, there, there was... Kavod. So now that kavod is going to be transferred. That kavod is going to be transferred to <coughs> to the Mishkan. No, and you have to get this. That's this is the important thing. It was Har Sinai had had a kind of physical aspect to it. You could see something and feel it, and that's something that you could see and feel was called kavod. Kvod Hashem. Right? See, the Kabbalists had this interest in language. So they wouldn't like to say Kvod Hashem and Beit Hashem and Yad Hashem and Zroh Hashem. That's all the same. That is what we do. We say, well, you know, no anthropomorphism. And therefore, all those words are exactly the same. They all mean nothing much. They're literary extensions of some sort or other. But the Kabbalist, the Kabbalist that had a, a different kind of reaction to language, well, I'm not telling you what Kabbalists are, I haven't got the clue, but, uh, but they, they were interested in language and so the Kabbalist said, well, Beit Hashem can't be the same as Ro Hashem, and Zro Hashem can't be the same as Yad Hashem, and Kvod Hashem can't be the same as Hashem Hashem. Right? So they, they, said, they set about to try to redefine all of these things as basic concepts of awareness. Like, how am I aware of God? How am I aware? I'm aware of God as Yad Hashem. No, I'm aware of Hashem as Zohar Netuyah. Right? You, under, you understand that there are different levels of awareness and they're represented by these words. So what the, Ramban, what the Ramban says is that Kvod Hashem, which appeared on top of Har Sinai, 
when the Jews received the Torah, was transferred to the Mishkan, transferred to the Mishkan, and that's what he, what he says, Shochein Allah b'nistar. What is nistar? Is another word that the Kabbalists like. You know, there was Niglan, there was nistar. There were things that are obvious, uh, you're aware of them, and there are things that are hidden. But, but they, they become essential. They're not just, you know, accidental. After it says in the Pasuk, in the Pasuk about Har Sinai, that Kvod Hashem dwelled on Har Sinai, God showed us His Kavod and His greatness. Not to mix them up. They're not the same. Right? Kavod. Uh, twice it is mentioned so you see there's a judicious use of this terminology kvod and gadol and they mean something tamid Programmatic statement of the Ramban. And it was in fact the case that the Mishkan Tamid in Yisrael, that the Mishkan always contained with Yisrael Hakavod. This thing called Kavod that we are talking about. Shenir Elam Sinai, which they, uh, which appeared to the Sinai, they knew it. They could say, "Oh, look at that! There's the kavod from Har Sinai. It's right on the Mishkan," because they knew the kavod. They knew they were getting this special deal. Ubevo Moshe, Hayai Lava Dibush Har Sinai. When Moshe Rabbeinu came to the tab- temple or to the Olamuid. God spoke to him just as he spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu Sinai. <coughs> and this may be the secret, this line may be the secret of Matan Torah. In other words, if Matan Torah is about proving to B'nai Yisrael, we talked about this last time, if Matan Torah is about proving to B'nai Yisrael that God gives the Torah to B'nai Yisrael through Moshe Rabbeinu, the proof is lacking because there's only two dibrot that B'nai Yisrael heard at Har Sinai, which is a lot less than the Torah. How did the B'nai Yisrael know that they should trust Moshe Rabbeinu when he came to them and said, I got a little more Torah and a little more Torah? How does that work? So this line says, Vayab Mishkan Tamidim Yisrael HaKavot Sinai. Uh, so, in, in other words, when Moshe Rabbeinu went to get more Torah at the Oromo Eid, and God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu from the Kavod, so B'nai Yisrael recognized that. So that really B'nai Yisrael in some way received the entire Torah from God. Because they were recognized, they were able to recognize the fact that it was the Kavod Hashem that was speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu. When Moshe Rabbeinu came to the Old Moed, 
he, there was this speech, Asher Nidbar Lo Bahar Sinai, Ukemoshe Amar Bamatan Torah, Min Hashemayim Bishmiacha, Et Kolol Yasreka, Val Arsarachadash Et Ishoagdola. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu says, that you heard the voice of God. So usually that's interpreted as heard the voice of God at Har Sinai. But maybe it means heard the, heard the voice of God later on, during the entire 38 years in the, in the desert. Okay, so you see that the Rambam, the Rambam thinks, uh, if I start from the beginning now, and I would say, the Mishkan in the desert, and the Beit HaMikdash, the Beit HaMikdash had uh, two purposes. One was represented by the Mizbeach, and that has to do with sacrifices of all kinds, different ways. And the other one, uh, represented by the Oromo Eid, represents God, God's closeness to man. Uh, so that the Mizbeach represents an attempt of man to come close to God, and the Oromo Eid represents the fact that God came close to man by dwelling in that place. And so there were these two aspects, these two aspects of the Mishkan in the desert, which later on was supposed to be emulated by Bnei Yisrael. <coughs> the Rambam says, the Rambam says that that was emulated that was emulated by, first of all, making sure there would be a bayit. Even though it is true that the Mishkan, there were also curtains that went around the perimeter of the Mishkan, but those curtains were not permanent. They came apart every time people... And bayit, when you say bayit, you mean something permanent. So the Ramam says, the Ramam's add, add-on, is that you need a bayit in order to have a Mizbeach. When was that, when did that happen? When the Beit HaMikdash was built. You needed a bayit to have a Mizbech. In other words, for man to come close to God or to do an act of bringing a sacrifice which might bring you closer to God. <coughs> In order to do that, it has to come from a bayit. The bayit is what gives man the kind of stability that he needs, mass, I mean dash woman, of course, that he needs in order to come close to God. Whereas God dwelling in the midst of man is, happened in the desert. That was the highest point because they just received the Torah, right? They received the Torah and continued somehow into the first temple and came to an end. After the first temple, there was no way for Bnei Yisrael to, 
recover, to recover the Oel Moed. So that even though the Kohen Gadol on Yom HaKippurim went into the Kodesh Kodeshim and davened for Bnei Yisrael, the Kodesh Kodeshim was no longer an imitation of Matan Torah and Har Sinai as the Ramban envisioned it. Because there was no longer an ark. The ark had become lost. You may have seen the movie. The ark was lost. And since there was no ark, since there was no ark, you can't say that the Ramban's understanding of the Oel Moed was left intact. Nevertheless, the Kohen Gadol went into the Oel Moed as though there were an Aaron there. And he did what he was supposed to do, even though there was no Aaron, there were no Luchot, there was no Man, there was no Mateh of Moshe and Aaron. All of those things were missing in the, in the Second Temple. So we can understand why the people had doubt about whether you could bring a sacrifice. The people didn't know if you could bring a sacrifice in the Second Temple because even though, they, because there was no Bayit and there was no Aaron. So they needed a prophet to tell them that in spite of the fact that there is no Bayit yet, there's no walls as yet, and there is no Aaron to make Kodesh Kodeshim, it is possible, nevertheless, to bring sacrifices on the altar that they built in the time of Chagai. Okay. Have a good shot.